There are wonderful things awaiting us. But while we sit on the fence, one leg in Sodom and one leg in the promised land, trying to have it both ways, we will never experience the things that God has for us. We have nothing to lose and everything to gain. The provision is waiting for you along that road less traveled. As you carry your cross down this sometimes lonely, but also exciting and adventurous road, He has made provision for you. And not just for you, but for many that you will encounter along that road. If you will. Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four. Peter said, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Peter says we have these things. It's already been granted unto us. Ephesians opening up that, that book, the first chapter, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Blessings be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. God already knew you would accept His call one day. He knew this before He ever created the world. He knew there would be a rebellion in heaven. He knew that Adam and Eve would blow it in the Garden of Eden. And in His foreknowledge, He anticipated everything. He chose you to be His child. And now that you have been born again, He sees you holy and blameless, seated with Christ Jesus in heaven right next to Him. And He also anticipated everything you and every other person ever born would ever need. From the beginning of the world until he destroys it by fire. And he's already made this provision. He has provided through Christ healing for every infirmity that the enemy will ever come against you with. He has spoken his blessing upon your life and given you authority over every demonic force that will ever oppose you financially, physically, emotionally. And he has made a home for you in heaven with him. And until you get there, he's taken up residence in you. Praise God. Victory is ours in Christ Jesus. We're already blessed. 
We already prospered. We're not fighting to get healed. We are fighting because we've already been healed and Satan is trying to steal what is rightfully ours. The same goes for our peace, for our joy, our prosperity. Amen. God has already commanded His blessing upon us and now we are fighting the good fight of faith to get rid of stinking thinking. This poverty mentality and this I am sick mentality. Most Christians spend their lives begging and pleading with God to heal them. To prosper them. To bless them. This is wrong. We have it backwards. He's already provided all of these things. And we need to start believing that we are already blessed. We need to start talking like it. We need to change these things that have focused our thinking in the wrong direction and be renewed in our minds with this word. And then as we do change, then our positive confession and believing and right standing and confidence will just begin appropriating what God has already provided by grace. This has to come to you by revelation. This is not paint by the numbers. This is a spiritual reality that is impossible to comprehend with our natural mind. But we have to believe it. We have to believe that these things are true, and they are. But what do we do? We hear them and we we receive them with joy. And then immediately the enemy comes and he tries to talk you out of it, you see? We look in our life. We look in the mirror. We look at our bank account, our marriage, our job, our doctor's report. And we say, well, these things that you're saying, they just, it can't be. They're either wrong or I'm just not saved, I guess. Because I don't have any of the benefits that you say God has given me operating and functioning in my life. And you're frustrating me with this stuff. I know. That's because they're spiritual blessings. They have to be appropriated by faith. And because they are spiritual though, some people believe that they're in heaven waiting for them. This is not true. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven to experience the salvation that God has provided for you. Eternal life begins at the moment of salvation. According to John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, the one true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This intimate, personal relationship is available now in this life and for all eternity. In the next life, we will know all things, even as we are known, the Bible says. We won't have to practice all these things this way. You see, it's for now. It's for now. These blessings are yours for this life. So where are they? Where are they? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 shows us. It says, may the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Okay, and then there's a colon or semicolon. He's going to define what he's just talking about. I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body 
be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are three part beings. Just like we were talking about last week, God created us in His image and His likeness. He is a triune God manifest in... He is one God manifest in three persons and He created us in His likeness. We are three part beings as well. This spiritual part of us we cannot discern with our natural senses or this carnal mind. And so... Until we understand that everything that has been provided for us was placed in us, the very mind of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, all the love, joy, and peace that you will ever need is in you already. But until you understand this, that it's been placed in your spirit, that's why you don't see it. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. You just need to learn how to work it out into this natural realm, you see? And this is very doable. And it can start right now. Jesus told the woman at the well. In John the fourth chapter. He, he said God is a spirit. And those who worship him. Must worship him in spirit. And in truth. Okay. So God is a spirit. Created you in his likeness. Now. He did become flesh. In order to be like us. In the sense that he could become our kinsman redeemer, the Bible calls it. You find this in Jeremiah, Leviticus 25, 25. In the book of Ruth, Boaz was her kinsman redeemer. All these are types and shadows, pictures of Jesus. It's all a picture of Jesus. Everything in this book is pointing to Jesus or talking about the fact that he's already come. It's all about Jesus. The mystery of godliness is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. So Jesus said in John 6, 63, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits you nothing. And then he said, the words that I speak are spirit and they are life. Satan hates this. You see, <laughs> we're spiritual beings and he doesn't want us to, to understand it. He doesn't want us to walk in this victory because we're like our father. Who created everything we know with his words. And we can start doing some creating too, you see. But up until now, most of you, the enemies had him had you creating stuff for him. And he doesn't want that to stop. But we're spiritual beings, like our Father. And we're temporarily in these fleshy bodies. We have a, a natural or carnal mind which has been programmed by the world system, which is controlled by Satan. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2. It says he's the ruler of the world in John 12. Now this is not to say that he rules the world completely. His domain is over unbelievers only. Believers are no longer under his rule. Unbelievers, on the other hand, are caught, what it says, in the snare of the devil in 2 Timothy 2.26. They lie in the power of the evil one, the Bible says. And they're in bondage to Satan, it says in Ephesians 2.2. But in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says the God of this world, again, that's Satan, little g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is why you shouldn't be so hard on those who don't know the Lord, because their need is. The thing that makes them act the way they do is their need for God. 
You have something that they don't. And they need desperately. So be kind. Christians, we're not in this hopeless predicament though. We've come into the light. However, we can suffer just the same as unbelievers who are under the the enemy's oppression due to ignorance. Just a lack of knowledge of what God has provided for us and how to walk in it. God loves you the same. It does. None of these things, this provision that I'm talking in, it's not to condemn you. If any area of your life falls short of the beautiful freedom and victory that He's provided, these truths aren't to condemn you. It's the truth that will set you free. It's to prepare you and to provide you with the information that you need to defeat the enemy's efforts in your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I beseech you, again, he's begging, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I read that before. Now the second verse, Romans 12, 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you can know the will of God. You can operate in victory. You can walk in agreement with God. Ephesians 5.10 says, Find out what pleases the Lord. If it weren't possible, He wouldn't have put it in His book. He said, You will seek Me and find Me when you seek Me with all your heart. As we truly seek God and grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus, renewing our minds through the Word of God by the help of the Holy Spirit, we will begin to find out who we really are. Until we do, we just suffer from this huge identity crisis. That's why people can have money and power and cars and houses and drugs and sex and whatever else they seek after and still be miserable. Because they're desperately trying to find themselves, trying to fulfill their desires... But the truth is they have a God-sized void in them that can never be satisfied by the things of the world. People are missing out on true life because they're focused on the wrong things. James 2.26 says it's the spirit that gives life to the body. So we give all our attention and resources trying to satisfy every craving and emotion of these physical bodies. But the Spirit is the real life giving part of a person, you see. So natural things, money, fame, all the possessions of the world will never satisfy this spiritual need for God. People are seeking happiness in the flesh, but what they are seeking only comes through the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are called to live a life of faith. I'd just like to go to 2 Kings for just a moment, and then we're done. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting around the 11th verse. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting around the 11th verse. Uh, Elisha was a, a prophet. came after Elijah, his, his mentor, the man of God, who had already gone up. To be with the Lord. And Elisha. The Syrian army was at war with Israel. And uh, 
Elisha, he was getting word of knowledge from the Lord about the tactics of the enemy. And he would tell every time they had a battle plan against Israel, or they were going to do something, he would just go tell the king of Israel what they were going to do. And he was just, he was being told these things by God. And so the, the king of Syria thought that he had a spy in his camp. After a few times, everything he tried was thwarted, you see. He just knew he had a spy. And start up there, right there at, at verse 11. It says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? I got a spy here. And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and bring him. He wanted to kill him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore send he there horses and chariots and a great army to get one man. And they came by night and surrounded the city where Elisha the prophet was. Big army to get one, one little man of God. I like it. I like the odds. For God, I mean. Where was that? They surrounded the city. Verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, he came out of the tent. Behold, an army compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you open his eyes that he may see. He prayed that God would allow the young man to see those things which were in the spiritual realm. You see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. God's army was there. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Strike these people, I pray you, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. <laughs> but he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass, when they were coming to Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I slay them? Shall I slay them? And he answered, You shall not slay them. Would you slay those whom you had taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them. Show mercy, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Praise God. You know we can preach on this for a month or so. But the point I'm trying to make here is that Elisha, I don't know if he even looked outside. I don't think he had to. His servant was scared to death, of course. And he ran in and told him. And he just responded immediately. It looks like to me. 
It doesn't have to be that way, and it might not have, but I believe it was. I think he just responded by faith. Elisha had seen chariots of fire, though, hadn't he? Just four chapters earlier, I think, right there in the beginning of Second Kings, he was with his master, his mentor, the man of God, Elijah, when he was taken up to heaven. Elijah didn't die. He and Enoch are the only ones who lived and did not die. That's why I think they'll be the two prophets they talk about in Revelation. They, they come back and... Uh, anyway, it's another thing. Because it says it was once for man to live and die. You know. Nevertheless, he had seen... Because uh, when they took Elisha up, it says they were walking along together. Elijah and Elisha. And suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared... And separated the two of them. And Elisha went up to heaven in a whirlwind. So he had seen this before. But even if he hadn't. I think just scripture. Because David. King David had written uh, uh, many of the Psalms. And he had. He was before Elisha. And he had written. Uh, in Psalm 68 you see it says. And these are scriptures that Elisha would have had. He said, the chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. So he already knew that God had these types of uh, armies at his disposal. And in Psalm 104, 4, it says, he makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. So Elisha was aware of what God had at his disposal. And I don't think he even had to look. Last week we were talking about Psalm 91 and we were talking about the angels and the provision of protection and comfort that God has made for us. And the, and the place that I'm trying to get you to today is the same thing that Elisha had. He was an old covenant man, by the way. He was a powerful man of God, but he doesn't have a fraction of what you have. Inside of you, you have the, the Godhead bodily, the fullness of the Godhead, the very mind of Christ. All the peace, love, and joy, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, healing, prosperity. The anointing of Jesus Christ lives in you. And if you will draw on this well of provision, I guarantee you, you'll begin to see changes in your life. We need to get to a place that we know and believe that there are more for us than against us. Amen. No matter what we see in the natural. Because everything we see in the natural is nothing compared to what the reality is in the spiritual realm around us. And God is for you. He delights in the prosperity of His servants. There's no good thing that He'll withhold from you because you love Him. We need to learn to confess the Word of God over everything that comes against us. We need to learn to use our authority. And we're going to be going in that into some of these things in depth in the weeks to come. But the enemy can't do anything in your life that you don't give him the authority to do. You are a powerful creature if you have been born again. You just don't know who you are yet. But you're going to find out. Praise God. This is not, again, this is not to condemn anyone who's been living short of these things. All of us are living short of our inheritance in Christ. Believe me, it's to stir us up, to stir up the gift that is within us. We're about to find out the truth regarding our inheritance in Christ. What we can 
and should be believing for. There's some things that you can't believe for. Some things you can. Some things that the church has has claimed that God is putting on people. Sickness and strife and divorce and things to teach you lessons. This is a lie from the devil. God is for you. Jesus said the thief, the devil comes not but for to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We're going to learn how to resist the devil. How to use our authority. How to stand, believe in God instead of begging Him to do what He has already provided for and given us the authority to do ourselves. We're going to learn what it means to walk in the blessing and not to have to live miracle to miracle. Amen? Amen. Dear Lord, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your precious words, Your promises.